We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. 97.1 FM Talk Podcast. This hour of The Mark Reardon Show is sponsored by Gamma Tree Experts. Your trees deserve the best care. Call Gamma Tree Experts. of discussions last year right before that uh, governor's race in Virginia about education and parents and kids and you know some of this had to do with the COVID lockdowns and my school district the Rockwood school district got involved in an embarrassing way giving away the FBI hotline number at a meeting at the end of 2021 Um, and you know this is still an issue nationwide and in Virginia in particular and Amber Athey wrote about this recently and the way that parents have gotten involved with taking some of this, you know, control back and getting involved in school districts, she writes for The Spectator, and the piece was in The Washington Editor, uh, about parents getting better at fighting for their kids' education. I remember a comment that I made at the time because I was so mad about some of the CRT stuff saying, we are not going to lose this. And when I say we, I wasn't talking about conservatives or liberals. I was talking about parents, you, you know, and the mama bears in particular who got involved. So Amber's coming up, plus we have an audio cut of the day in just a few minutes. But, ladies and gentlemen, let's go to the Big Island of Hawaii this afternoon. The official theme song for Dr. Buzz Hollander, who joins us. How are you? Happy New Year. Happy New Year. I wish I was on the Big Island of Hawaii right now. That sounds so good. Oh, I did hear that you might be in another location, but I didn't know if I had permission to share that location or the reason. Oh, it's fine. I'm totally public, Mark. That's my style. Okay, but you, um, I did not know this until Fred told me yesterday. So you, uh, well, explain the situation. I'll put words in your mouth. You're in Seattle. Is that my understanding? Yeah, I'm having a little medical vacation, what my kids term a uh, raycation, as in radiation-cation. Uh, this uh, mouth cancer popped up and um, decided to come here because the Big Island is a great place to live, but it is not the best place to get high-level medical care. Okay. So I've got some good friends uh, in the oncology world here in Seattle, and it's a, it's a solid program at the Hutch. So getting it treated, it's one of those very good prognosis, HPV positive, like uh, Mike Douglas, mouth cancers. So odds are extremely good. I come out of this fine on the other side. I'm halfway through treatment, but the treatment is not fun. Yeah. Living in Seattle in the middle of winter is not fun. And honestly, when I think of Hawaii, it almost makes me cry. So when you say it popped up, can you give more details there? How does that, what happened and how did you yeah, realize? No, it's good for your listeners to not be like me. Um, 
You know, it started with what felt like a little lymph node kind of action when I got COVID, um, you know, over the summer. And being a doctor, I ignored it. I was like, it's just a lymph node. And then I got a cold in September and a condition called trismus, where it's hard for me to open my mouth fully. So, like, I tried to eat a sandwich and it was embarrassing. Like, just, you know, I had to pull the top off. But, of course, I ignored it because the lymph nodes got more engaged again with the cold. So told myself it's just nothing you know lymph nodes can cause this trismus and so i ignored it until it started to hurt one night uh in, in late october early mm-hmm. november and then i finally just shined a flashlight in the back of my mouth and was like oh that tonsil is cancer until proven otherwise and it is and you know fortunately these are again they're, they're cancers that don't usually metastasize they respond really well to a little dose of chemo and a big dose of radiation but, you know, God, it's just one of those life lessons that I yeah. shouldn't have to be learning, which is when something weird happens, take it seriously. Um, you know, this would have been an easier treatment if I could have just gotten a little robotic surgery and then five weeks of half-dose radiation. Like, I'd do a lot to trade for that right now. But whatever, what's done is done, and um, ugh, I can't wait another three and a half weeks and start thinking about going back to Hawaii. You know, I I want to share a story. I won't say the name. I have a friend who recently, and this goes back to last summer as well, and um, I'm going to forget some of the details here, but he wasn't really feeling uh, bad health-wise. He had lost a bunch of weight and actually goes in to see the doctor and said, hey, lost a bunch of weight, feeling great. And he had lost uh, like 30 pounds over the course of you know, three to four months. So it was a bit abnormal amount of weight loss. Uh, people are telling him, "Ah, oh, you feel great. Well, he had, and I can't remember the exact diagnosis, but it was the cancer that was, was eating it away. And now he's at the point where he's getting treatment and things are okay with the treatment. The prognosis is good, but he can't gain weight. I mean, the cancer, and he can eat anything he wants, but he simply can't gain weight. And that's because of the cancer. Well, it's interesting you say that because you know, a couple of times a year, a patient comes in convinced they have cancer because they've lost weight, and that's their only real symptom. And I always tell them I have never, ever had a patient come in where weight loss was their first presenting symptom. There's always there's always the swollen lymph node. There's always the can't walk in a straight line anymore. There's always the intractable nausea, whatever. So that would be a first for me. Well, and, and there, I and look, yeah, Dr. Buzz, there may be some of those other things, but for the most part, he wasn't getting, you know, going in to get checked out because he felt like there was something that was, you know, out of sorts. So that's interesting. Well, we wish you best, even though you're in Seattle, uh, try to survive that. Hey, you got, you know, an NFL playoff team in Seattle, better than I can say about Green Bay right now. Or I about Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. We were both so close, Mark. And you guys were, it was sort of the same thing. Both of those teams, obviously, um, the expectations were sort of dashed early in the season, but they finished strong. Yeah, I mean, both teams, well, I don't know. Your Packers probably would have been a harder out in the playoffs. But um, I'll be honest, I've had enough of Aaron Rodgers and um, his love for his own ideas. So I have to admit, I I enjoyed it, despite having a lot of good friends who love the back. Even as a Packers fan, I think some of us have already had enough of Aaron Rodgers, so I get that. But look, let's talk about DeMar Hamlin. This was a fascinating situation that happened. The nation rallies around him. Personally, I was insensitive last week. I wanted to know about the playoff scenarios for the Chiefs, but that's because I'm an insensitive person. But let's be honest, from the very moment that happened, if you opened up Twitter, you can see people talking about the vaccines and did he get the jab and is that what caused this? So you were actually invited to write a column for real clear about this particular was for Substack for this um, topic, right? About the mRNA vaccines and whether or not this is a factor. 
Yeah, it was uh, suggested that perhaps I could um, shed a more balanced light on the issue than, than I feel like we're mostly getting through the media. Well, and I would feel that way as well. So how do we do this? And because you know that there are people listening right now that feel like, and, and I don't even know what to believe anymore. Are people dying from the vaccine? Are they dropping dead from the vaccine? Did the vaccine help? Is the vaccine helping now? I saw a story today that indicated that more people who were vaccinated were getting this newest strain. So I think there's a lot of confusion out there. But on the DeMar Hamlin situation and whether or not this could be what myocarditis or something like that, what would you say? I think could be is the exactly appropriate phrasing. And what I found frustrating in the conversation around the issue is that, as usual, everyone had dropped into their ideological lines and seemed willing to consider the possibility that if you were a um, someone who is very pro-vaccine, who feels like it is damaging and inappropriate to ever question that vaccines could cause substantial adverse events that could lead to something as serious as what happened to Mar Hamlin, you know, then, then there was this rush to take up the flag of Columbia Cordis, which, you know, a lot of cardiologists thought that that was the best explanation, and I honor that, but it is not the only one. Okay, explain that just a little bit, but Columbia Cordis is Latin for agitation of the heart, right? Yeah. And, and so it, it says most people now know, I mean, I'll be honest, Mark, I, I'm I'm sure that I read about it in med school, but when this came up, I was like, commotio cordis, commotio cordis, do I know what that is? I mean, it's that rare. It's not something that I ever saw when I was working in the ER or in residency, uh, cardiology wards. Like, it's extremely rare, which is a little bit of a red flag that everybody rushed to pronounce this as commotio cordis. But the idea being, you know, direct blow to the chest at the exact wrong time in the heart's rhythmic pattern that you can actually trigger a, a fatal arrhythmia. And, you know, the, the, the red flag is that we've been playing football a long time. We've all been watching football a long time. And, of course, no one has ever seen this happen before. And that's because, you know, by some pretty good record keeping that was kept, I think, 1980 to 2006, there were 12 cases of commercial cordis recorded on the football field, all in lower levels of play, younger people. And most of the time when you get this diagnosis, it's a small projectile like a lacrosse ball, a baseball, a hockey puck yeah. hitting, hitting the chest and causing this. And so it's a little odd, you know, a helmet and that hit in particular is just very different in terms of impact zone and velocity and force as what causes most of these incidents. And so, you know, I feel like right away it's appropriate to have you scratching your chin a little bit. Well, maybe we shouldn't be rushing to this. Now, what usually causes cardiac arrest in football players are the usual culprits, which would be a pre-existing heart condition. And that could be a tendency to like a conduction problem that makes people more prone to fatal arrhythmias or a big heart is the most common thing. And, it's possible to make it to the NFL without those things being detected yet. Best I could tell, they, they do an EKG, is required part of the medical screening at the combine. They don't do echocardiograms on everybody. So, you know, those will catch 90, 95% of those problems, but they're going to miss some. So, you know, at this point, I assume that Tamar Hamlin's doctors know if that was the case, if there was a genetic issue, and aren't saying whether or not it is. And that, But that's still a likely scenario unless it gets flatly denied that, that the medical team can clearly say there was nothing pre-existing in play. And, you know, if that's not the case, then you're looking at 
maybe this really was like when I compute, if you push out 12 cases in 26 years out of a million and a half people playing football at every level in the U S you know, you would expect this to happen in the NFL once every 1500 years or so. So granted, some of these cases are going to be unreported, but, um, it, it's still the sort of pre-event probability was really low that when we finally got another cardiac arrest, the last one I think was in 72, uh, that it was going to be commotial cortis. So, you know, you got to factor that in when you, you try to sort out, well, what really happened? So that's why I feel like, is it appropriate to say that there's no way this was anything but commotial cortis? There's no way it could have been this vaccine. Every bit is inappropriate to say this is clearly the vaccine just because <laughs> Yeah, it, yeah. It could have been a genetic issue. Could have been an enlarged heart. Could have been commotional cortis, which definitely only happens to a healthy heart. But I think you have to look and say, look, it's very good. We don't know whether or not Demar Hamlin was vaccinated, but supposedly ninety-five percent of the NFL is. So he certainly probably was vaccinated. Might have had a subclinical myocarditis, meaning he didn't know he had symptoms, or that probably would have been reported and developed a little bit of scar tissue that could have made him more likely to have this happen. And it's also possible that when he had this viral infection in late November, that the virus could have caused acute myocarditis and that that could have been in play when this hit happened. So I think some humility is really in order that we don't know. And I, don't, I think it's inappropriate to shout down people with different views as much as it is to, to be completely confident that it's one thing or the other. Well, that's what I love about your opinion on this and your level-headedness, because, look, I think that there would be, even on the part of me, um, a lot of temptation, and I have you know, some regret about completely buying in to the vaccines in the summer of 2021, especially now that there's a new study that's in the New England Journal of Medicine where they're looking at multiple vaccine doses and whether given those over a period of time are having a beneficial effect or not. And in this particular study, and by the way, they looked at 18,000 nursing home residents that got multiple doses, shows no benefit at all to the patients getting the vaccine. So I don't even know if, if some of this is all put into question. I tended to believe that the vaccine helped, that it reduced deaths. Are we at a period right now where we still don't know the answers to some of those questions? Well, I mean, I think the relevant issue now is mostly uh, the value of boosters. I think that most of the good done by the vaccines was by the first two, for some people, three shots. And I think there's a, a law of diminishing returns with, with boosters beyond that. And I still think as a physician, you know, again, all, all these studies are retrospective and they're just full of confounders. Um, but as a physician, I still recommend my very at-risk patients that it's probably a good idea to get a booster, you know, on probably more than once a year. Um, while we wait to see whether it is effective at reducing the risk of severe disease once you've got past three shots. Um, and we really don't have that data yet, and it's frustrating. Um, so that's why I mostly say, look, if you're going to have some high-risk thing, if you're going to go skiing in the Alps this winter, if you're going to go to a big family reunion this summer, like, yeah, if you don't want to get COVID in the middle of that trip, probably a good idea to get a shot a couple of weeks before it because it will reduce, you know, and maybe we're all the way down to 30 percent, but it will reduce somewhat the risk of acutely getting an infection. And, you know, COVID infection can be mild and it can be bad enough to ruin a vacation. And every now and then it's bad enough to put you in the hospital. But, you know, there's so few people left that are that have not either gotten COVID um, or started the vaccine series that I, I'm never really having that conversation anymore with people who are unvaccinated 
haven't been infected and are trying to figure out whether or not they should get it. I think if you could go back in time, you, you know, because of the myocarditis risk in young men and the low risk of severe disease, you might have told Damar Hamlin, you know, maybe maybe let's wait on this until we get better handle on the data. Um, at the time, that, that, in that spring of 2021, I probably would have said, yeah, you know, it's high risk. He's going to be surrounded by it all the time. We've already had that Red Sox pitcher sidelined for a season because of the myocarditis they got from a case of COVID. I probably would have said it's a tough call, but back then we thought the myocarditis was maybe one in six, one in 10,000. And I would have said, yeah, you know, the odds play probably favors getting this vaccine. I, I'm not altogether sure I would still say that as that number has crept down to one in 2,000, one in 3,000, and maybe a lot more subclinical myocarditis where you don't even know you have it and we don't know the effect of it. Good enough. Uh, I like the take, and I appreciate you coming on here. And good luck with everything with uh, with the treatment in Seattle. How, how long are you going to be there? Do you know? Well, I don't exactly know, but uh, treatment's another three and a half weeks. And as long as I'm doing okay at that point and feel like I can turn my care back over to the physicians on the big island, then I'll be on the next plane that I can. Well, best of luck with I think we both are in, you know, here I am in the middle of the country. You're, you're in um, Seattle. I'd rather be on, I know you live on the big island. I'd like to be in Honolulu for the golf tournament this weekend at Wailea. I think that would be a fun place to be. Are you, do you nice. play golf? Do you play nice. golf? Just a handful of times. My wife thinks we'll take it up in retirement. We'll see. <laughs> All right. Dr. Hollander, take care of yourself. Thanks for coming on here tonight. Hey, we appreciate it. Great talking, All Mark. Right, I enjoyed it. That's Dr. Bye-bye. Buzz Hollander on the Big Island. He's in Seattle. Sue, so you missed the beginning of the conversation. He is undergoing some treatment for a uh, form of throat cancer. Yeah, I'm sorry so, to hear that. But he's going to be okay. It sounds like everything's positive there. So we appreciate Dr. Hollander. 523 FM Talk, St. Louis is home for conservative talk. We'll talk with Amber Athey with The Spectator coming up, talking about parents fighting for their kids' education, how those parents are winning across this country. Coming up. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast t-mobile has invested billions to light up america's largest 5g network from big cities to small towns including right here in yours and great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. 
Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. I have an audio cut of the day coming up in just a few minutes, and I have a little bit more information about that horrible situation where the six-year-old took a gun and brought it to school and shot her teacher last week. So we'll have uh, a little bit of more information that came out on that yesterday. Uh, I want to talk about schools, and I've been talking about schools for a long time, and the uh, summer of 2021 was an interesting period, and obviously we were watching what was happening in Virginia into the fall with Glenn Youngkin. We had some very interesting things that happened around here, even in my school district, the Rockwood School District, that we highlighted when it came to CRT and other nonsense. And Amber Athey has been reporting about this and writing about it. She wrote a piece that was in The the Spectator on how parents are fighting back, and they're fighting for their kids' education. The Mama Bears and the Papa Bears in particular. Amber, how are you? Happy New Year. I'm great. Happy New Year. I want you to explain to my audience what happened. This is interesting. The Virginia Education Opportunity Alliance, which is a nonprofit, put together a training event to help parents that might need some help with school districts and school boards, right? That's exactly right. I attended one of these trainings a couple of months ago, and this was done in conjunction with Americans for Prosperity, which your listeners might know it's a national organization that has uh, sections around the country in different localities to basically support grassroots activism. And these trainings teach parents all and basically anything that they would need to know if they were interested in getting involved in their local public schools or school boards. So throughout the day, parents learned how to tell stories about their own kids and how they've been adversely affected by some of the left-wing policies that have been implemented. It includes information on how they can go to uh, representatives' offices in the Virginia legislature or how to lobby the governor's office. It's kind of a roadmap for anyone who is new to politics on how to turn their anger into something that's really effective at making change. Now, I have a serious question. Was there advice and counsel given to specifically, bear with me here, not coming off as a crazy person that the media can attack? Because let's face it, you know, you say something and then these parents turn into the evil people. And that's what happened certainly in Loudoun County with uh, with Scott Smith in particular. Yeah, I don't think that there was anything explicitly mentioned, but they did get into the fact that Conservatives really do have to be happy warriors because the media will destroy them otherwise. And so coming forward with your message compassionately and with all of the facts behind you, but also, you know, again, telling stories about real people is a great way to be able to uh, bring other people into your cause, even if the media is not on your side, even if Democrats or, you know, left-wing activists are not on your side. And the individual who gave the training is uh, named Chris Theo. He's with Americans for Prosperity. And uh, he was very measured the whole time and really allowed these parents to channel their anger into perhaps a more productive way of speaking to local school board officials. And one thing he said, you started the piece off this way, Amber. You said Chris Steele said to them, hey, look, reminding this group that was gathered, we're not normal, right? Explain what he meant by that. 
Well, what he meant is that we were gathered at a Doubletree Hotel on a Saturday afternoon on a beautiful day. I think it was one of the warmest days of this winter. It was about 60 degrees outside. I actually had a round of golf booked later in the afternoon. That's how nice outside it was. And yet here, these dozen or so activists were in this hotel conference room for a five-plus-hour training because they really care about this issue. And I know reflexively, when we talk about the issues plaguing public schools, critical race theory is one of the first that comes up. But what a lot of people don't realize is that in Virginia, critical race theory was something that was sort of tacked on later. The initial reason that so many parents were going to school board meetings was because they were upset about school closures during the pandemic and the fact that their kids were not getting in-person instruction, they weren't allowed to attend extracurricular activities. And then even when schools did reopen, a lot of the students were having to face these really restrictive policies regarding testing or vaccines. And it was later on that critical race theory and the woke gender ideology became part of that movement. So it really was a lot of different people who maybe weren't even political in the past, but because they were so upset about school closures, they ended up forming this community with a whole bunch of other parents who maybe had more political concerns. And so this training was all about how do we take this very organic grassroots organizing and channel it in a way that is potentially more effective in actually getting policy change from either the governor or state officials. Yeah, and I love that. And one of the things that, that I can relate to, and I think this audience can relate to, is in the summer, this would go back to 2020, when we were starting to emerge from, you know, the COVID cocoon early in the pandemic, is I saw people, and this continued into 2021, really into 2022, I saw parents, people in my neighborhood, uh, people that were not politically active, people who wouldn't listen to a political talk show host, parents, right, that got engaged. This started in our neck of the woods with restrictions to youth sports activities because there were government officials here in St. Louis County that were blaming youth sports for spreading the virus when there was no evidence that that happened. We happened to discover a pattern of that, didn't we? A lot of things that we were told that didn't exist. But what was interesting, Amber, is all these parents and people that got very, very angry, active, engaged, and involved that probably never did that when it came to a political-type topic in their life. That's exactly right. This was something that I think um, made people realize how important local politics really is. And for decades, a lot of people really... Um, ignored it or rejected it in favor of these big national political stories. And then their kids were at home on Zoom and they saw what they were learning or they had to deal with the disruption to their schedules and to their daily lives and realize just how important these things were um, to both their kids and to themselves. So one of the things, like I'm even seeing some coverage this week, in, and I don't know how much you've discussed this or are familiar with uh, the book Gender Queer and that controversy, but it, yes. it's, it's a situation where maybe you can explain it better than me. Uh, look, I have a seven and a half year old, and, and if, if you're a high school kid, I think it's different. Um, I, I don't really care who reads the book or who gets the book. However, that's a different question than whether it should be in school libraries and available to, to young kids um, and whether the school should be behind that. Because some of the things, and, and it's funny to me, maybe not funny is not the word, but NPR and some of the other uh, media organizations that try to make this seem like there's nothing in this that might be offensive to anyone when, in fact, there is. Now, everyone's going to have their own level of, um, of judgment and shock or whatever the words might be relating to pictures of oral sex, etc. But the question should be, is this appropriate for young kids and how do we get away from that? Because that's where the media takes us, Amber. 
they try to talk about the book without actually indicating what's in it that makes parents so upset and horrified that their kids have access to this. They don't talk about those specific scenes, which do include cartoons um, and drawings of young people engaging in sexual activity. It's really disturbing. And, you know, with this book in particular, this was something that was found, you know, in, in Virginia and in Virginia public libraries and in school libraries there. And when a uh, local resident went to read the contents of the book at a school board meeting, she was told that she was not allowed to because the contents were too graphic. Yes. So the obvious rebuttal to all of these left-wing media outlets claiming that this is acceptable is if you're not allowed to read it at a school board meeting in front of adults, then obviously kids should not be able to access it in a library. Yeah. And you know what's interesting about about that controversy in particular? Let, let's use um, the New York Times or our St. Louis Post-Dispatch or the Washington Post. You can go to any damn website in the country. And I can go right now. In fact, I'm on the AmericanConservative.com. And they not only have a story about genderqueer, but they show you the images from that's called a graphic novel. And you can see, you know, oral sex taking place. Why won't, and this is a rhetorical question, Amber, but you won't see the Washington Post, the LA Times, the New York Times, the St. Louis Post Dispatch. They've all written about this. They've they've written editorials. They've talked about how conservatives are dangerously trying to censor this. They've never put the slides mm-hmm. in of what you can see in this book because they know if most people would see what's in the book, they would raise questions about whether it's appropriate for kids. That's exactly right. The left-wing media has to hide what's really in here because they know how obviously wrong it is and how everyone would be against them if they got to see the contents of this material. And it's not just the genderqueer book. There were other examples of this throughout the country as well that were popping up at either book fairs or even in public school libraries. And I also want to point out that in these trainings, they didn't just talk about how do you change public schools, but sometimes when you can't make change in public schools, the answer is to take your kid elsewhere, right? So that means going to a private school or even homeschooling your child. And for a lot of families, that is cost prohibitive. They can't afford to send their kids to a private school or maybe they work full time so they can't homeschool. And so there was a lot of conversation about um, education savings accounts and school choice. And what this would do is actually take the tax dollars that are used to educate a child, put them in an account for the parent, and then allow them to spend that money on whatever education-related items that they would want to. So that would introduce competition to the public school system and allow parents the opportunity to take their kids out of failing public schools and put them somewhere where they're actually going to learn effectively and be able to participate in things that are not age-inappropriate. One of the other things that, that I've emphasized, I don't know if you got into this with, with the training, when it comes to the school boards in particular, we, we had a little bit of this around here, even in my school district that I mentioned. If you're going to run for the school district, I had a great guest on from the Dallas area who's an attorney that sort of outlined this last year, and I can't remember who it was, Amber. But the advice was, and, and let's face it, we have national you know, elections, statewide elections, where we've seen kooky candidates on the fringe that get defeated because they're bad, crazy candidates. Well, this happens in school board races, too. If you're going to run, you're going to try to change something. Make sure you get good candidates. The quality of the candidate matters when trying to make changes. Totally. And uh, in Virginia, I can only speak to the fact that there are local nonprofits that have popped up over the past couple of years that are working on fielding good candidates to replace some of these horrible Uh, school board officials. Um, Parents Defending Education is one that I can think of. There's a couple of Loudoun County specific groups as well 
And they've had a lot of major uh, victories. They were able to get rid of the superintendent, Scott Ziegler, who was behind the cover-up of the sexual assault in a bathroom by a so-called non-binary student who was able to access this poor young female. And instead of allowing parents to know about that event, the non-binary student was simply transferred to another school where he assaulted another girl. So that superintendent is now gone. Quite a few of the school board officials have been ousted and replaced with more pro-freedom candidates. Um, so there's a lot of progress yeah. that's being made, and it's really heartening to see. But, you know, let's be honest about this, and, and you know this, that if if we had a fair media world, and I'm long past hoping for anything like that, you would have seen a story about what you just described, which we outlined in great detail here when that grand jury report came out. You'd see that on 60 Minutes, right? You'd see that on um, on MSNBC. The New York Times would do a, an expose on how horrific that was. You don't see any of that, do you? None of it. No, and instead, instead what happened is they actually turned the father of that student into the aggressor and into the villain. Um, He was cited as an event of threatening a school board in the National School Board Association letter to the Biden administration asking them to mobilize the Department of Justice against school board parents. And Scott Smith was was listed in the footnotes as one of those examples. And of course, the Biden administration complied with that and created a threat tag through the Department of Justice to track these various cases, which were merely cases of parents using their First Amendment rights to speak up passionately on behalf of their children. Yeah, and that brings us full circle to what happened here in Rockwood, my school district. We had our former superintendent, thankfully former superintendent, who gave out that hotline number, the FBI tip line number. And then when I asked the district multiple times whether they had ever called local law enforcement, was there ever a situation where maybe local law enforcement could have handled it instead of the FBI? We didn't get any answers on that, as you might imagine. Amber Athey, the Washington editor for The Spectator. Stay on them, Amber. I appreciate it. Great topic. Thank you so much. All right, take care. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. We have Congressman Smith coming on the show tomorrow afternoon. Audio cut of the day in just a couple of minutes. First, an update on the situation from Virginia from last week. Abigail Zwerner is the name of the teacher. She was um, teaching a lesson, a reading lesson. They were just about, they were broken up. These are first graders, and I can certainly relate to this because my daughter's seven and a half, and she's in second grade. These are six-year-olds in a first grade reading lesson. They were about to switch to art when a six-year-old pulled out a nine millimeter that he had brought from home. On Friday. And so the teacher, I guess the the way that we understand this happened is sort of <laughs> tries to block the gun. Um, well, the bullet certainly. tears through the teacher's raised hand, hits her chest. Oh. The other thing about the, the, this is amazing. So that teacher was able to usher about 20 students off to safety before they brought her oh to gosh. the ER. And they had a news conference yesterday and they outlined some of this. Um, 
the obvious question is how and why did this yeah, child well, get a nine millimeter gonna, into the school? I'm is it get be- to that? Yeah. Well, so first of all, Steve Drew, who's the uh, the chief of police out there, said, "Look, Miss Werner was the last person to leave that class. She made a right turn and started down the hallway. Then she stopped. She turned around to make sure that every one of those students was safe. So they had this news conference yesterday. They talked about this being unprecedented. The boy's mother had purchased the gun legally, but it remains unclear whether the boy or anyone else will be charged in connection with the case that has shocked a nation and that has grown." accustomed to school shootings. Okay, let's just stop right there. It remains unclear. There should be something very clear right now. Somebody, I don't care if it's the six-year-old, all right? What's the process for charging a six-year-old? I'd say the parents need to be looked at, but see, some of this goes under the statutes and what they can charge them with, right? It says the the motive for the shooting remains unclear. Drew said it was not preceded by any kind of altercation, as police had previously indicated. They're still well, investigating six. how the boy got the gun from his home. He's just pulling it out, probably. Who knows? Who knows? But do they not, I guess they don't then, since it's an elementary school, have anything in place to pat down the kids or a metal detector well, they were asked or anything? That. Yeah, they were asked about that. And they do have metal detectors at some of the schools in that district, but they didn't have anything to, um, you know, have a first grader, and I don't think most schools would, go through a metal detector. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. Now, and the, the legality of this is interesting because under Virginia law, children younger than seven are presumed to not be able to form the intent to commit an illegal act, which you can kind of yes. understand. hello. But if there's not some culpability here... From, How would it? Mm, uh, it doesn't matter if the gun was bought legally. That's irrelevant. It is at this irrelevant. Point. What's the, relevant is the kid put it in his backpack, got it from mom and dad, and brought it to school and shot his damn teacher with it. It was available for that child to take out. It should have been locked up somewhere. Uh, to me, this is a, a problem of the parents. Yes. Um, and I think the parents should be held, if the six-year-old can't be held responsible, then what do you do with the six-year-old, right? They said they, well, just, they got can, him off to you know treatment and everything, but I, I suppose that uh, this is what's ironic, you know, and it was the Washington Post that did the story that I'm reading right now. And they're also the group that did this story. Remember right before Christmas, I had that story. Maybe you were off, Sue, about the horrible situation with um, a couple of parents that had been accused of child abuse because their infant came in with terrible injuries and it looked like maybe it was potentially child abuse. It wasn't. It was, I can't remember all the details. It was not child abuse, but it took them a long time to realize this. But the other kids in their family were removed from oh. the family because of the suspicion of child abuse, right? Gotcha. So in this particular situation, what happens? What does the law allow officials to do? You take the six-year-old kid off, you get him a mental health evaluation, then what? Now, this story doesn't indicate, but mm. you give him back to the parents you don't charge the parents because you're not exactly sure what to charge the parents with well, at this point. Having a child have access to the gun at home is not a good plan. Is there no law in effect for that? Well, most states would have I that. would assume yeah. there'd be something. Yeah, I just, I don't know all the particulars of um, of what they're, they're probably looking at this. And it's interesting because there has not been a lot of focus on the parent or the parents. I don't even know if there's two parents in this particular situation. Yeah. Do you? No, I don't. I haven't, I haven't heard. Um, trying to look through through the details of here. Man, yeah, because that know. is the the first question that comes to your mind when you hear that is how in the world did a six year old get a hold of a nine millimeter, and how the world did he get it into school? Right. So here's another question that comes up with, with something like this. I don't know what I would do, but 
we've this relates to Idaho as well. We know for a fact that there were in the aftermath of what happened with those brutal murders, there were a lot of kids that told mom and dad and mom and dad said, yeah, don't go back. Right. We don't even know who the killer is. Right. Don't go back. So they didn't come back for the rest of the uh, the fall semester. semester. There's a, a fair amount of kids and students that aren't going back. Right. They're just they're, they're deciding. It's even not, though it's we trim- know. Right. Yeah. Huh. Now, think about a kid in an elementary school in Virginia where a six year old shoots a classmate and you're a parent in that school. What do you do? How do you handle that? I, Your kid, in, in look, my, my daughter had a nightmare about a wolf last night. I right. can't even imagine if something like this would not, happen. They not, would not want to go back to that school. Just a classmate, the teacher. I've been around guns quite a bit. I've hunted. If you're not expecting something to make that loud of a noise oh. in, a cla- in a classroom where you're reading and then you're shifting to art and all of a sudden a nine millimeter goes off right in your eardrum, that's going to create all kinds of issues yeah. for the rest of your life. Oh. Unfortunately, let's do this here. Playback ready. Now, the audio cut of the day. Well, I'm going to do a couple of things here just because I haven't featured our friend uh, slick-haired Gavin Newsom from California. This is kind of a serious one here on these storms. Dave Murray was with us this afternoon. These floods are deadly and have now turned to be more deadly than even the wildfires here in the state of California. Common sense. Uh, just be cautious over the course of the next week, again, particularly the next day or two. All right, so he's playing governor there, and he wants to be serious. And it is a serious situation. And um, unfortunately, we've had more people die from these floods and the weather currently this week in California than from wildfires. But then he had to say something like this. And and if you're drinking coffee, I know it's late, or Diet Coke is what I drink, just try not to spit it out of your nose when you hear Gavin Newsom say. California has, has been, well, freedom's force multiplier protecting liberty from a rising tide of oppression what more than any people what in any place california has bridged the historical expanse between freedom for some and freedom for all dude you prevented people people in your state from going to the flipping beach during the pandemic you're, you're the opposite of what you just declared. Declared, And then we just had to do this because I, I love this guy. I don't know who he is. He went viral. Um, he reminded us of our friend John Ziegler out in California. But this national championship game last <laughs> night was pretty dismal. It was a complete blowout. TCU just got their butts handed to them. And this fan of the college football national championship was having none of it. You thought TCU belonged in this game? What was the qualifications, college football playoff committee? What? Was there qualifications getting beat by Kansas State? That qualifies you for this game, the biggest game of the year, the game that every college football fan, no matter what team they pull for, looks forward to. And this is the garbage that you gave us. Pathetic. You are pathetic. This is a disaster. This is a barn fire. I love that guy. He's kind of like a man after my own heart, Sue. Inspirational. There you go. Audio cut of the day. We'll talk tomorrow. Have a great Tuesday night. Get more at 971talk.com. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. 
baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 